to Two Words with Taku. This is the second part of my interview with comedy writer, comedian, actor. Yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah actor. actor. Of some stuff. history. <laughs> stuff and stuff. Uh, Gerard McCullough, who is the one person I have wanted to have on my podcast this whole year because he is someone who started in stand-up comedy and now he writes some of, and has written, um, for some of Australia's most popular TV shows like The Project and The Weekly with Charlie Pickering as well as some old school sketch comedy shows, some movies. Honestly, when I moved here, he was the person I wanted to sit with and pick his brain just to tell me there's hope. That's, that's well, yeah. very touching. Yeah. I've never um, written movies, but there was a character in a movie named after me. Oh, but, there was? But he was never actually referred to on screen, so you wouldn't have known it. Oh, okay. And it wasn't a Maybe re- good movie. <laughs> but there's one, but it says that you did the movie with Eric Banner. What was that one? Uh, oh, oh, that's a, a telemovie. I guess it's a telemovie. It's a movie. Yeah, it's still a movie. Okay. Just claim it. It's a movie. All right, I'm a movie, movie writer. Yeah, he's a movie writer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, in the first part, I was speaking to him, or we were speaking about stand-up, so how he started um, his career in stand-up. And then we talked about some of the sketch comedy stuff he's done. And now we're going to chat about satire because this is a topic or an area that really interests me. Um, and so with a lot of the work that you do with the, you know, with the, well, on the project and then now with the weekly, a lot of it is sort of news, political, current affairs kind of satire. Yeah. So can you tell me how did you end up? Let's let's speak mainly about the weekly then, because that's probably the, the big one. How did you end up on the, the weekly with Charlie Pickering? Uh, well, uh, I'd known Charlie since his earliest days in stand-up, through the stand-up scene. And then when we started the project, I was at Roving, which was uh, Rove's production company, which was behind the project. So I was seconded over to the project. Oh, sorry, and before that, Charlie and I worked together on a show called The Mansion, which Charlie hosted with Michael Chamberlain, mm-hmm. who's another very funny comedian who also works on the weekly, more behind the scenes. And so when, when we got to the project, um, Charlie had got that gig without me and I'd got it without him, but that was just another show that we were working on together. We've always hit it off. We're very similar. People think we look alike, apparently. So um, Who says that? Oh, everyone who... Oh, my mother. Okay. <laughs> Your mother says it? Yeah. I used uh, to... Yeah, she, oh, I thought you were on television last <laughs> night. It was, it was just Charlie again. I have to admit, yeah. I... Yeah, okay, there was a moment in studio where I looked around and thought I'd stepped in front of the camera and I realised, no, that was Charlie on the screen. And so it, it, there must be something in it. You know we're going to have to do like a mashup or something. Uh, you don't have to. We just look the oh, same. You <laughs> yeah, you but do. Anyway. Actually, no, there's... Yeah, okay. More so when if my you're... curls are out. and But we both go for the stubble and yeah. have similar structure in face. Anyway, that's all irrelevant. What yes. happened was we both yes. ended up on the, um, on the project together. And uh, I left that after three years, and I think he left a year after that. And um, he was lucky enough to have this opportunity at the ABC uh, to be on the weekly. And I was very kind of lucky enough to be invited in as as the first writer on board. So between Charlie and me and the couple of the producers, we were able to pick a team that we thought would be a good rounded team to take into that great experiment. And it seems to have mostly worked out pretty well, I think. Why do you say mostly? No, sorry, it has. I'm just being <laughs> unnecessarily modest. It's a bloody great yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, is there something we can do? <laughs> no. Okay, no. apart from the, you know, all cases and whatever. Um, so <laughs> whose idea was it though? 
Well, I think um, this certainly this genre of, of a comedian as a pundit sitting at a desk talking about society, this is something we've seen out of certainly America mainly mm-hmm. in the last few years. Um, like The Daily Show and um, and the, the kind of John Oliver-style yeah. programs, mm-hmm. Samantha Bee, these sort of people. Yeah. And I've, I'd been watching those shows for a couple of years and thinking, why don't we have an Australian version? It would be great if we did. And luckily someone at the ABC thought the same thing and came Snap. up with this one for Charlie. And there are differences. When we first hit the air, we knew that people would liken us immediately to, to John Oliver and to... Um, oh, yeah, like, I remember reading You know, that. like we hadn't noticed, but... Um, but yeah, we certainly have set out to make differences with this show. I mean, we have just the the core team of four now, and uh, along with the correspondents, and um, we yeah, there are differences, and we have uh, guests as well who Charlie interviews, and it's along the way. I mean, the way when a show starts, it always takes a little while to sort of figure out who you are. But I think we now know what the voice of the show is, and. Mm-hmm. And uh, we maybe don't go... I mean, John Oliver spends 20 minutes dissecting things now. That's not something I think we would ever do. We tend to keep it a bit shorter and sharper. Mm-hmm. Um, quite happy to go into some very silly places and to, we celebrate some of the very superficial stories as much as we celebrate the... or perhaps denigrate some of the bigger stories that are around as well. Yeah. So uh, it's just getting noticeably since the three... for the three years that we've been on air, the news cycle just seems to be spinning faster and faster. We just Doesn't have to keep just... writing new bits because the old bits just are, are not relevant 24 hours after it happened anymore. So. It's insane. So um, I, I remember the workshop you said something about, you know, you're always reading the news, um, you know, the papers, that it was nice for you to have a break to not have to do that. What does your normal day or your week look like at the weekly? At the weekly, during season, it would be wake up to the news, hear what's going on. Just I listen to a, um, the, one of the commercial stations on the AM just to get a sense of what's, what's the stuff that's really kind of going mainstream for a start. Uh, read the news headlines on the train on the way in. And uh, perhaps I'd look over a few scripts if, if we were sort of heading into show day, I'd be reading and maybe editing some scripts on the way through. Uh, and I should point out, you you said at the start of the podcast that I'm the guy who writes for Charlie. No, there's a massive team, not a massive team, but a small team who does writing for Charlie. Well, now oh, you want to acknowledge them, hey? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Now that people have tuned out of the podcast, <laughs> yeah, exactly. if, if they got bored of me talking. Yeah, um, exactly. Now I just want to thank, you know. Yeah, yeah so, uh, so in fact, yeah. I, I actually often don't end up writing sort of entire bits for Charlie, but I tend to scatter ideas here and there or maybe do a bit of editing as it goes through the system. But there's my fingerprints are... <laughs> all over the show yeah. as the writers will tell you probably as they snarl through their gritted teeth yeah. um, oh so wait you have the final sign off no I don't who, really who uh, well really effectively Charlie does uh, okay. in that in, I, I would never make Charlie say something that he didn't want to say on oh, yeah. national television um, we also have a executive producer Chris Walker who we all highly respect and he was another guy who we used to work with at the project and effectively it comes down to the three of us Charlie, Chris and Jared, in a room arguing sometimes two to one sometimes sometimes two people feel something passionately and they have to convince the third one and but generally we're able to talk each other around and and we would agree on a best path but it does sometimes come down to uh to to decisions i mean as i said charlie does get to say what he wants to say on air chris technically has legal responsibility for the show so Mm -hmm. he does have the right to say i'm not letting this happen because um because you know i don't think it we can we can't sustain the the damages if someone sues us or something like that yeah. we don't usually we do have legal advice and they are very good at helping us around those issues but yeah technically most of the time it's the three of us and to be honest most of the time 
it's writers the writers already they know what show they're working on they know who they're writing for mm-hmm. so it it comes already comes out from the writers room in a pretty good state already yeah. and then we just sort of tweak things here and there yeah as as they come through the writers stay involved through multiple drafts yeah. just about right up until the final point so it's not like they hand it off and then we we finish it or change it around we yeah. we keep the writer in on the conversation and yeah. say can we do this or that the other thing and they can fight back if they want up to a point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, but my day, so where's I? So I'm on the train and then get to work. There might be production meetings to talk about the state of scripts. Uh, there might be reads where we're going through individual scripts in great detail. Um, close to the show, say Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesday mornings, we're looking at what's in the news and which stories. Are we, are we ta- tackling the right stories? Which okay. ones should we touch? And then uh, Thursday, Fridays tend to be a little bit more long-form planning. So we can look at where we do in-depth sort of exposés or any kind of pieces that aren't necessarily that topical in the week's news. Mm-hmm. We, we can work on them on the Thursday, Friday. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're chasing headlines. So although it's very funny how often we are working up pieces in the long term that end up being topical because they just happen to hit the headlines on the Tuesday morning and we go, well, that's very convenient. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. S- slot that right Hopefully here. Hopefully people watching at home going, how do they pull that together in 24 hours? Yeah. And we just had the, we were lucky to have radar that it was something worth talking about. Uh, so going back to that whole team that you talk about, so it's yeah. not just you, um, how, how did you pick the writers or how do you, how do you, build a team of writers and what kind of culture do you create within that writer's room? Because I think that's something that also interests me. Um, yeah, well, firstly, no show ever has a big enough budget to hire the writers you would want to hire in amount mm-hmm. or in, um, in style. And certainly with this one, we didn't have too many. So we did need some experience in the room and we needed people who knew Charlie's voice Quite well so Michael Chamberlain is uh, an obvious person to go to because he and Charlie had worked together at the mansion which was this Foxtel comedy channel show that we did in the late 90s and Charlie and Michael have been working together for a long time so uh, it was great to have Michael on board um, we have I've started I've got myself in trouble here I shouldn't I might stop naming names because yes. I'll inevitably forget somebody and then I'll be in trouble oh, that's okay. but uh, yeah they we had a, we had a mix of people who we knew uh, had a, a satirical bent who, who we knew would be good satire writers and there are others who are kind of one-liner kings who we knew would mm-hmm. be or queens who we knew would be good for just sort of really just nailing an issue in that yeah. one, line, one line and we have had particularly since the show started we've actually had a couple of writers who've come more from research backgrounds who turned out to have a bit of a knack for comedy writing as well so they're not okay. even comedians yeah. actually one has become a comedian because she was surrounded by people in the writers room going you should try comedy so that's incredible um, yeah so and and so people who it's great having writers who can bring that kind of that research ability into the script as well yeah. and so they're, they're kind of the three if you were to classify writers i mean there's plenty where it's a venn diagram and there are crossover fields but they're kind of the three people that you need in a in a show like that. You need news hounds, you need um, researchers, and you need joke writers. Yeah. Um, the other thing we do have, which is a huge asset to the show and a really integral part of it, is uh, a, a presence from ABC News people. So mm-hmm. the while they don't technically get listed as writers, the 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 news the actual trained journalists in the room, they are apart from being pretty good with a the joke themselves. They're the ones who often bring the surprising angles or the, the really yeah. interesting 
bits that we can put on into a into into a segment that will make you go, "Wow, I didn't know yeah. that." Or, or they can they can dig up the little sources that the comedy writers wouldn't know where to go. Uh, and so it's and that's been one of the joys of this show. And it was it was a similar experience in a way at the project where there was a news team and a comedy writing team. In a way, that project that show is a little bit more. The, the serious news and the comedy news is kind of a little bit more separated, I think, at the project. Maybe less so now than when I was there. Mm-hmm. But certainly at the weekly, this this melding of, of ABC News and comedy talent and some producers who'd come from the project and Hamish and Andy, it was a bit of an A-team of, yeah. of television. So, yeah, so um, the, where I mentioned the, um, the lack of uh, budget, really, and there's nothing wrong with any of the writers we have. But the one thing you always want is, I mean, the more voices you can hear, the better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're conscious of the fact that there are more stories to be told other than the experience of the people in the room. Mm-hmm. And we're getting some of that, um, say, for example, when we had um, Adam Briggs brought yeah. in as a correspondent uh, who can who brings that Aboriginal perspective. And he has a, he's done comedy before. He was in black comedy. Yeah. Uh, so he can bring that, that sort of angle. And we have mm-hmm. uh, comedians from other countries bringing yeah. their um, angles as well. So, yeah, you can never... I was going to say you can never have enough voices. Yeah, you, you, there's a limit to how many people you want yeah, in a meeting. But, I was going to say. Mm. So, yeah, I would sort of never hold up and say, check out our writer's room. We've got everything you could need in a writer's room. Yeah. I don't want any of our writers to be paranoid hearing me say that. <laughs> no, we've, it's a great writer. It's a great room, though. I mean, just the, the best thing you can say is how much people make each other laugh in the yeah. room and, and how, many, how much stuff has ended up on the show that just started as just someone being stupid in the room a bit of a conversation or a riff and you can sort of go we could actually put this in the show as a yeah, bit so and, and run with it yeah so where are the boundaries what are what are the boundaries within which you can create because i mean you're at the abc and then like you said you've got the legal people so what does that look like censorship self-censorship boundaries yeah I'm that's curious some, about that's that. a good story um uh, there are boundaries at the ABC. We're very lucky that we don't have commercial considerations. We're, we're not going to have an advertiser threaten to pull advertising because mm-hmm. they didn't like what happened on the show. So that's something that's a real luxury that we have, and I think that's an important reason to justify public broadcasters. Because uh, you know, if we didn't have one, then every broadcaster would be subject to that kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do certainly have legal issues. We can't defame anyone. We have to. We try to meet the ABC news standards of impartiality of uh, being absolutely buttoned down on our facts we should hopefully we don't get it wrong very often but if we do we should acknowledge that um we taste wise i mean we're conscious of who's watching us abc television audience does tend to skew quite old young people tend to watch more online Mm -hmm. um so we just it's not that we wouldn't oh yeah there probably would i mean you would certainly be able to write a joke that we would say that's that's just too dark or it's too too wrong to put in the show you know because we don't want people necessarily switching off we'd rather them stick around to hear what we have to say but it's just a matter of taking the same idea and phrasing it in a way that is more palatable Mm -hmm. in a way um i mean you could gnash your teeth and say that's not the art the art should be doing whatever the art needs to do my aim my, my answer would be i'd rather see some version of the art on television than being ripped off television and never seen again Yes. So yeah, but the taste is something of a consideration. We we just have to find ways to, um, to yeah, to, as I said, to for the audience to enjoy listening to us. And we sort of do need to be aware of the sensibilities of. Um, I mean, any time you hit on 
issues of, uh, of say, race or sometimes class or um, these sort of issues where I think in a way we're in this world where privilege is being called out on and, mm. and newer voices that often traditionally have been marginalised are coming through. Mm. And we're very well aware of that. But uh, as someone, particularly speaking on my own behalf, as someone who's a white guy and I'm in my position thanks to a world of privilege since I was born, yeah. I can still be blind to the privilege that exists around us. And it can, be, it can exist in the, the language that we use and attitudes that we appear to show. Mm-hmm. And we just have to be constantly checking ourselves and going, hey, we can't say that because that's actually really offensive yeah. to someone who five years ago we might not have even <laughs> thought of for yeah. a moment. It's, it's so funny you say that because I think that's where, that's something that I'm really still wrestling with even for myself. So the big talk, like we are um, saying before, cultural appropriation, mm. what's, yeah, what's cultural appropriation? Where's the line for that? What can I say that you can't say? Vice versa. What, what is art? Isn't art for everybody? So, yeah, that's right. It's, um, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. It's a fascinating me. conversation. Yeah. Oh. Like, I mean, on one level, you'd say, oh, look, why can't we all say the same things? And that's true equality. But then there's another argument saying it's only true equality when everyone is truly equal. And up until that point, some people get to keep their bits. Or yeah. um, we discussed earlier the snapping the Z's. As I think yeah. And I think I can't. Remember, I'm sure it came up off like behind the scenes at the weekly, and someone said we can't. He might actually, to be honest, I think Charlie might have actually done it on oh, a weekly really? episode. And maybe it's it, it was in my head because somebody tweeted angrily, oh, you know, you can't, Charlie, you've just culturally appropriated from Afro-American culture. But it does raise an interesting question of... But it's funny. It's an awesome, like, it's such oh. it's such a great gesture. It's really... It is, but yeah, it's it is funny what it and is. It's, yeah, oh, and so at man. what point, at what point mm. is a gesture like that given to everyone to use because it's fun or at what point does it is it part of a culture that should be respected yeah man and uh and that's a that's a, an answer i can't something i can't answer it's mm. a conversation that's still being held and it fascinates me a lot and sooner or later i'm going to end up on the wrong side of it because i'll <laughs> do something accidentally uh, yeah i mean i find i find such freedom saying some of the stuff i say on stage doing stand-up because it's all the stuff everybody's thinking but it could equally be taken as cultural appropriation or inappropriate or racist mm. or whatever. And I think my big gripe is, like, I think people just sometimes get a bit sensitive. But then even saying that, I'll probably get into trouble for that. It's like <laughs> my struggles are not the same as everybody else's. But I just think the world needs to laugh more. Yeah. P- period. Yeah. So even when I go in and I do these school talks to kids who are getting bullied and all this stuff, mm. like, it's like, well... The only way we can kind of be okay is if we start to laugh at ourselves first. Yeah. And then we might not be so upset when people laugh at us or with us. Yeah. Which sounds very kind of naive and very like Care Bear Flowers. (laughs) But I think think that's what works. Because then you look at some of the big stand-up comedians or people who are successful in that field. It's because they go to those places that are uncomfortable or that are people don't know what to say about them and they kind of that's who we want to do that stuff that's right there's an interesting case study in australia with the the word wog and the the so-called wog community mm. and i use that term as someone who married a greek australian and um yeah. i I'm, I'm claiming some <laughs> some right to some, use it yeah, inherited but, um, wog. <laughs> yeah that's right and the reason i mention that is if you use the word wog around someone from the uk they'll turn ashen face because they're just um it's a word you can't use. It's a racist 
um, it, basically it's a racist term. Mm-hmm. And Australians often don't really think of that. Certainly modern urban Australians don't consider that word particularly offensive, which is why I felt comfortable using yeah. it just now. And that's partly because the whereas it used to be a racial slur, the target community turned it, they yeah. took it for themselves, yeah. they turned it on their, their own parents and, and of course we had that huge, we were talking about Acropolis Now earlier, mm-hmm. um, those guys turned wog, wog comedy into a, in a, a real very Thing. popular subset of yeah. Australian comedy yeah. and to the point where they took all the sting out of the term and these days if you want to if, if you want to try and racially abuse someone with the use of the word wog, you have to add adjectives to it because yeah. the, the word alone has lost all of its power. So you get almost a term of endearment. Now, yeah, that's so. right. And while it's not a word you would use on a stra- with a stranger you just met, it's sort of <laughs> with friends you can we can make we can well certainly when I'm with my in-laws we can make wog jokes across yeah. the ethnic divide, and that's I think that's something where we can head as a, as an entire culture when we can make those when every single insult has lost all of its power then mm. we're probably getting somewhere and and you know yes i agree with you but i'm just thinking if we try to do the same thing with the n-word which i think people have tried with, a long and, way like to that's, that's <laughs> like a long way to go yeah. and i'm not normally i'm not i don't normally get fired up about stuff like that because i just know like the world is messed up like yeah. you know we're all you know we've all got faults and we're not perfect i say stuff that's wrong so i try not to get too upset about stuff like that but yeah i feel like yeah the inward's definitely fine yeah that's right um but i i feel as if humor is the way to heal a lot of this stuff yeah that's right you know without the external stuff how we look where we've come from it's like all that insidey stuff warm and fuzzy like you know what tickles you what actually makes you laugh like what you know, some people don't know how to laugh anymore. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that's just. But then I think we, it all comes down to the intention of the user of the language. Um, um, yeah, true. Uh, not just the intention, but that can be taken on board. And so, um, at the moment, say the N word is still too often used with definite negative yeah. meaning. Yeah. So yeah, that we would have a long way to go before oh, that yeah. loses its sting. <laughs> we could use it as a yeah. term of endearment. Yeah, that's no. right. But you're right. It's it's. I think it's where you see audiences really relate when some when a comedian say is from a, a minority community and they come out on stage. There's always a temptation, I think, to do really cheap jokes that just play into stereotypes, which is always mm-hmm. a shame. But when they bring to their performance elements of look, here's the world from my point of view, mm-hmm. and it's a way that perhaps a mainstream Australian audience hasn't heard before. Yeah. Audiences can really relate to that, especially if it's coming with that a very Australian sense of. Um, of self-deprecation like yeah. um dil jayasin is doing some really funny stuff uh, okay, f- with nice. his sri lankan background at the moment around um, melbourne and he doesn't get up and do kind of subcontinental head wobbles or anything like that he just, he just, <laughs> but in fact he, he his stage persona can be very arrogant it's it's not exactly the kind of the meek immigrant character you often see in stand-up he's yeah. he's really pushing boundaries and it's the audiences are really uh, reacting to it in a really joyous way because we're well. still all people. We're yeah, all people. Right. And I think that's where I'm also trying not to just make my jokes about my culture and stuff. It's, it's again, yeah, showing my life or my world from my perspective. You know, um, I always do like the women relating, like as women, like finding yeah. hairs on your chin, like, you know, past <laughs> 30. And, you know, sometimes it surprises me what we will laugh at as people. So I think that is the challenge and the invitation for people to kind of tell those stories as people stories not like us and them yeah that's right you know um so okay so 
with um yeah with writing satire do you find that it makes you cynical or like how do you like how do you then view the world is everything a joke is everything funny is it just like ugh? no good satire makes me angry and um if i don't find maybe you have to come at it from a point of cynicism at a point in my life where i've lost that youthful um zeal and this belief that everything can be changed i'm at the point of going oh the world is messed up but i'll try to play my little bit at trying to withhold the madness or hold the madness back a bit longer but uh yeah uh i've seen uh, and andy naylor is a um sorry i'm gonna start that again andy parsons who used to be in the duo called parsons and naylor he's a british comedian who i once saw do an hour at edinburgh and it was it was very accessible, but by the end of it, you were ready to go and set fire to the place because he just he just nailed how ridiculous the system is. Yeah. And I think you need to come at satire. I, I hate satire when it's just poking fun at oh, Malcolm talks pot or mm-hmm. or you know um, when it's when it's simple or lazy. When it's when it really points out hypocrisy or points out where um, we could really be doing better and we're not. Even if it's attacking the audience for its own um, foibles, Apathy, yeah. If I think good when satire is certainly as a viewer watching great satire makes me angry, and that is really um, I think that's one of the great emotions to feel when you're watching comedy. As long as you're still laughing, you don't want to be angry because you haven't heard a joke. That's the yeah, wrong yeah, kind of angry. Yeah, true, but true. if you can be angry because I've just laughed really hard and I want it, I want yeah, things to change. Yeah, actually, I, that I is a good point. Yeah, I don't think my satire has ever reached that that sort of level of of achievement but that's what i'm trying to make happen is that because of the the shows you're on or just i know i just mean in my personal writing i think i'm I'm still trying to aspire to the the heights of the great satirists so um that's that's actually i should say that's i'm talking about kind of ranty stand-up style satire Mm -hmm. there's also someone else who i massively admired was the late great john clark who we yeah, lost last year and he's yes, beautiful and, quiet yeah, but yeah. spot on his yeah. his interviews with brian Doerr are legendary yeah. for a reason actually i do he, remember those absolutely yeah. just taking a needle and pricking a bu- uh, pricking a balloon that yeah. needed or bursting a bubble that needed to be burst there's that kind of satire too which is wonderful as when well. i first saw him um when they did those in- interviews i actually thought they were real because i didn't know <laughs> right, the yeah. people yeah, so i was like I don't get this. I don't. Why are they? Oh wow. Okay, this is. Serious. And then later, I was like, wow, so convincing. And then yeah, finding it funny because then you can see who those people were. But um, so, how would you define satire? I'm just curious what that. I think definition is. satire at its heart is, without trying to give you a dictionary definition, is pointing out what is wrong in society or what should, or what is perhaps ludicrous in society and what should change or what what could be changed yeah. um going back to the oldest days of shakespeare and, and old plays that it was about mocking the people who are in charge and doing it in a way that's funny mm-hmm. so that's i think that would be my my idea of satire in a nutshell and and you know that is a gift that australia really has that you can do that yeah it, it, <clears throat> that you can make fun of your leaders and not die yeah, exactly. And, and we'll as more Australians need to appreciate that, I think. It is, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it's such a luxury in this world. But it, our natural tendency going back to the worlds, well, even to Indigenous days as well as colonial days of, yeah. of being completely 
um, free to attack our betters does make it does mean that we should be doing making well we are doing many yeah, but i want to see more of it <laughs> yeah i think so and, and calling people out and mm. really the the power of the people to to say something or do something so yeah i think laughter is a great medium yeah. definitely um okay so i think let's move on to screenwriting um in general so screenwriting as in writing stuff that will be on tv or on film on camera um do you think all comedy ideas work across all platforms mm, what has been oh, what has been your what have you seen what works best where oh, now what? so we're just talking about when you say all comedy ideas you mean comedy ideas for the screen yeah across so, all so kinds let's of say screens? let's say some of your stand-up material yeah. or whether it's a character i think you said you started off with a particular character you know do you think ideas like that or characters like that can work, you know, on screen or in sketch comedy or? Oh, yeah, I'd... maybe. I don't, it'd be too much, I think, to say that all ideas can work across all mediums as if the script would need to change. I think yeah. when you're writing any script, it really does help to take into account how the audience is viewing it. So whether that's in a live environment or is that, um, even trying to just differentiate between a big screen and a small screen, yeah. which, I mean, um, you write a movie and it will end up on TV or end up on the computer, of course. But yeah. um, that's why I think stuff that works on YouTube and it's really funny, little a sugar hit for 30 seconds probably wouldn't make a very good short film. Or, yeah, that's true. <laughs> or, yeah. Uh, you know, so it wouldn't really... That's why when you put a bunch of clips of animals falling over into a television show and call it, this you know cats falling over makes me laugh or whatever they have it's, yeah, it's not like, really satisfying tv because no. it's it's youtube clips yeah and that's where it should stay and they're great on youtube but so i think um you can probably take the kernel of an idea and work with it in different ways to make mm. it appropriate for the for the format that you're working in but yeah i don't i don't think you could really take necessarily exactly the same character or the same sketch and just put it anywhere yeah, and, and get the same reaction. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense because I know when I've done um, my African auntie stuff on oh, stage, yeah. if I just do it by myself as me, it doesn't look or feel the same. But when I use Snapchat filters, then that changes how it looks and sounds, and so it's like it adds an extra yeah. element. So I think that's something that I've also been learning is that yeah, you have to write the stuff in a different way so just because i do stand up does not necessarily mean i'm gonna make a funny sketch show yeah so that's, that's right. been the reality check like check yourself girl <laughs> um <laughs> and also if you're moving from a writing background or a performing background into writing for the screen the thing to remember is if you're writing for the screen remember that you're playing a lot more with visuals so you can play with the frame of the shot you can play yeah. with what's happening in the background how is the camera moving? What is revealed at which moment? And these are all things that you don't really get to play with if you're, say, doing yeah. a live comedy show, that yeah. sort of stuff. So there are ways that you can use that to make the piece much funnier in a way. So, um, And that's something that I sometimes find with newer writers who just start writing sketch or something. They've, they've written great words. They've written really funny words, mm -hmm. but they haven't written a picture. You need to mm -hmm. think, how am I going mm -hmm. to write the picture? Thank you very much, yes. I mean, the picture to some extent also applies on stage because you want you're, it's still a, a physical presentation, but the expectations are much lower. They just you know, expect African grandma to come out and yeah, <laughs> exactly. to be herself. Yeah. Whereas if she was on screen, you can put her in a setting, you can put yeah. people around her, you can have her reacting to more things. Yeah. So yes, write the pictures. That's 
I'm not to remember. I'm writing that down, people. <laughs> Did you hear that? Write the pictures. Yes. That is, yeah, that is definitely the bit that I'm learning at the moment. Yes. Writing the pictures. Because I see them. So I've mm. always seen it and I've always like pictured it as I'm writing my stories. But now it's writing it so that then, yeah, I can send it to another screenwriter or producer and be like, yep, this is the script. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, yeah, what are, you, what are you aspiring to do with your writing stuff now that you seem to have done it all? Well, the funny thing is I've, I've been very fortunate and I've done a lot, but nearly everything I've done has been in this world of uh, comedy. It's been one it's been jokes or sketches it's all been quite short even charlie's stuff doesn't go for longer than seven or eight minutes at the most i really want to write long form i want to i want to prove myself as a writer in that kind of long form environment <laughs> yeah so i have um when i put my day aside to write uh, there's a novel that i'm sort of working up there's a feature a couple of feature ideas there is a, a sitcom there's a couple of animation Whoa. ideas well animation yeah. is not that much longer but but still to write an animation a kids animation series yeah. would be something uh and there's a comedy drama and i think that's is that that's probably not everything so there are all these there are these big picture ideas and every now and then i get a little bit of time to put my my turn my hand to them and try and work them nurture them along a little bit more yeah and the question is probably just pick one and finish it. Just oh, so I've written one Isn't before that the my life ends. Is real. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hear. And I know that I'm. I mean, the, it's fair to say that the jobs I do are pretty. They dominate my time. Yeah. But I also uh, need to do a better job of finding the time to write. And I know, and I fully believe that you just have to make that time to write every day or every other day, oh. and you'll get it done. And it's easy to say, but it's much easier to do. That the people who I've always admired people who have a screenplay, and it might be a rubbish screenplay, or they have a first draft of a novel. They've got so much more. They've got more done than I have because I haven't even got a first draft of that stuff yet. And Just do bullet points, then it feels like a first draft. It does. But the other thing that I think is really good to know is the idea of the vomit draft or the vomit pass, which is the it may have come up on a previous episode of the podcast. Just yep. get something on the page. Just get it out. Just literally plant your bum on a chair and do not move yeah and do it for three hours it is friggin hard yeah it is actually hard because you'll be like oh i need to pee oh no i need to pee. <laughs> but if you don't you will be surprised you'll just get into a zone and yeah yeah that's just, right uh, yeah. what i'm liking about my novel is i'm not really writing it in a linear fashion i <laughs> i think it's going to be a novel when i finish anyway yeah. but it's sort of a series of vignettes here and there about the characters and what's happening i've got a rough idea of what happens but I'm just writing little bits at a time and dropping them into place like a jigsaw. And every time I read a couple, I always, well, actually, I make myself laugh as we were talking about earlier in the podcast. Yeah. But um, And it just makes me want to write more and know more about these characters and, and have more scenarios where they interact with each other. So that's hopefully a good sign. Yeah, ever, that is. If I ever get this novel done. <laughs> you will. But then, do you know, that's part of getting to know your characters. Yeah, that's right. Which I think I didn't really, I underestimated that as well because. Mm. You have to know who these people are before you throw them in these situations. So just write when you're inspired. That's what I was going to say rather than do it daily because, yeah, that, that's hard. That's yeah, harder that's to right. stick to. Um, but going back to character development. So you've got your novel and you're developing these characters. How different is it to developing comic or comedic characters let's say for a sketch show that's a good like question how deep is, are you going it is a humorous novel so in some on some level that uh they are 
finding characters. In what I've done so far, the biggest challenge that I've had is to is that I've been only writing for one main character, whether it's Charlie on his show or the main character in a sketch. And the interesting thing trying to develop something like a novel is, okay, I've got five, six major characters. In a humorous novel, they all need to be funny in their own way. Well, they don't all have to be funny, but certainly the way they interact has to produce the humour. And the... The question is, how do they end up not all being the same person and the same yeah. voice? Which is, I, I know that's the, the problem with also a lot of screenplays is the writer injects their humour into every character in the play and they all walk around or in the in the screenplay and they all walk around sort of saying the same thing in the yeah. same voice. So how, how are you going about differentiating the characters then? What does your research look like? Or how do you give them the different personalities? It's mostly in my head at the moment, but I want to put it on the page somewhere as a research note, is to just know where they each came from. So at the moment, there's there's a central location where they tend to meet, but I'm still in the process of fleshing out what their backgrounds are, what they want in life, how happy they are with their situation. And some characters I know more than others. Essentially, the, the protagonists, I kind of know their trajectory. Yeah. And there are a couple of supporting characters where... I don't want them to just be token characters just hanging around to be, you know, to be there in a scene while someone else cracks the jokes. I need to find out why they are there, how they came to be there, yeah. and where they're going. Oh, this is so fascinating. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole nother chapter, a whole nother episode, that whole thing around character. Because, yeah, I also learned about asking those questions of the character before you even start writing the story. So, you know, what do they like or where do they do their shopping? You know, what... What do they, what are they afraid of? And yeah, when you start to answer those questions, then they become people. That's right. And, and I do find one thing can lead to another. Like I came up with, it's funny, I, I came up with a nickname. It started with a nickname. I thought there could be a character with this nickname. And the nickname suggested the person, the, the, the appearance, and the appearance suggested the family background, and the family okay. background suggested the history of the character and the expectations and... And suddenly I had a whole new character and it just came about by thinking that would be a funny nickname. That's and so great. it's, yeah, the inspiration. Now I read this book. The inspiration can hit from the strangest places. <laughs> yeah, and that's what you want because then that makes it more real and interesting. Especially because yeah. you'll be open, you're more open to hearing it and seeing it. Yeah, and, that's right. And um, there's a book called um, Letters to a Young Writer by Colin McCann. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'd like that book because he talks about some of that stuff, just these gems of wisdom about writing and characters and story and stuff. Um, Because I think, yeah, we're in the same spot, just trying to crystallize those characters. And and that's why it was so interesting doing that workshop again, because I've had these kids' characters that I wrote, you know, two years ago, and they're just stereotypes. But now it's like, well, what do they want in life, you know? And... Um, I asked my brother to look at one of my film ideas and write, you know, treatment for it. And he's like, this kid, he's just like a victim. Like, (laughs) you know, everything happens to him. Like he needs to be deciding stuff. It's like, whoa, okay. You know, which is good. It's a good challenge to, to always improve. It really helps to have people who can give you fearless advice like that yeah without being worried about hurting your feelings brother's probably really good yeah no he's <laughs> perfect good. he's good he actually blew me away with with his feedback so that was good um okay well look honestly thank you so much for your time your wisdom your insight your jokes and um yeah i'm i'm 
very grateful. Thank to you for you. for inviting me um, to the podcast, and I'm sorry that I talk so long. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> this is the best. This is like a two part, three part episode thing. It's wonderful. Yes, it's wonderful. we'll serialize it. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, so everyone, you have been listening to Two Words with Taku, and I'm with Gerard. 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 How? How? I usually say Gerard McCulloch. Jared McCullough. But it's a tricky one and I'll accept as long as anyone's saying my name, then I'm still relevant. <laughs> where, where do people find you? Do you want people to find you? Yeah, look, I'm on Twitter is my main social media outlet, which mm-hmm. is Dr. Java Beans. And I'm the same at Instagram, but I'm a bit quieter there. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm less on Facebook. I'm around to be found on Facebook, but that's mainly for plugging my gigs, which okay. I'm not doing many of at the moment. So yeah. I'm a bit quiet. So maybe on Twitter and then also just watch the shows. So watch... Yeah, please. Yeah, so uh, it'll be, well, Charlie Pickering will be back before the end of 2017 for the yearly, for our yearly wrap up. And then next year we'll probably bring new seasons of Hard Quiz and the yearly. Oh, yeah. We need to talk about Hard Quiz. Hard Quiz is fun. Watch it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. Um, Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find me at taku.com.au. And yeah, have a fabulous day. Bye.